Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to come into fellowship, to share your word that you have left preserved and reserved for us, Lord, to know your will and your purpose for us here on earth. We thank you, Lord, that as we go forward into this episode, that we would decrease as you would increase right now, that your spirit would be in this room. We know, Heavenly Father, that everyone who you have ordained to come across this episode will see this episode. We know that there is no distance in time and space that you can't reach, Lord. So whether they watch this on the first day it's released or a year down the road, we know you have a word designed, prepared, and intentionally for the listeners who are going to hear this episode. I thank you for my brother, Pastor Boone, here today, Lord. I pray that as we speak and have this conversation on what it means to be to have equality in the church, in the ways that the church can be effective, Lord. I pray that your wisdom will come forth. You said in your word that when we pray for wisdom, you give it freely without finding fault. And so we pray right now, Lord, for your wisdom, for your understanding, that your word will go forth and not ours. We give you the praise and thanks, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen to that. Amen. Thank you guys for joining another episode of On Earth As It Is In Heaven. I have my guest here, Pastor Boone, Senior Lead Pastor of what was formerly Woke Bridge Community Church, but now is The Bridge Community Church. And I'm going to go ahead and let you introduce yourself. Tell a little bit about yourself. Well, I'm grateful for the invite and the opportunity to chop it up with everybody here today. Thanks for tuning in. Again, I am the lead pastor of the Bridge North County, a multi-ethnic church right here in the heart of Ferguson. And my heart is to see a foretaste of God's kingdom presented to a world that's watching and to show them that there is a different way, a third way, so to speak, where people can interact, love, care for, and enter relationships that are meaningful with people that are different from them without any pressures or requirement to assimilate into another's culture we can celebrate the beauty in the diverse ways that god has made us and at the same time be pursuing unity that is found in the gospel and for our cultural moment we see that primarily taking place through racial reconciliation you know one of the ways well the way that i even came across this church is you know experiencing the the love that you guys have shown and kind of what you just talked about the the multi-ethnic community I was just walking down the sidewalk and you actually came over and invited us over for lunch and there was no pressure there. Me and my kids, we came over. We had one of the members of the congregation, a Caucasian female who stood with us at the line, you know, walked us all the way up. And then even as we sat and just watched, we could see that honestly at the time I was, I wasn't thinking what I, like how I'm putting it now. I'm only spacing it this way because of the episode, but it was just a family. It's, it was it was seamless. It, it didn't seem like, you know, you guys were even trying to work to be multi-ethnic and come together. It was just something that was. That is something that I believe that God has, what, intended for the world, you know, is for us Amen to, to seamlessly be that way and not necessarily need to take steps. But until we get there, I guess that's one of the things we have to be conscious of. Yeah, we do. Yeah, thanks, man. And I'm glad yeah. that you came and stopped by and had lunch with us. And I'm glad that you hang out, engage, and... Now taking more leadership 
uh, roles and using yeah. your voice for the advancement of the kingdom here. We appreciate you for that. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. What is your background in uh, in your faith? You know, how did you come into wanting to become a pastor? You know, what does that look like for yeah. you? I think, I'm not sure if it was ever a time when I wanted to become a pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love what I do. I believe this is what the Lord created me and placed me on, on the planet to be. And mm-hmm. I've embraced that. And because I'm I'm doing that, I have a tremendous amount of joy in it. But, you know, I got I was a hood guy, ex-banger, ex-drug dealer who simply got rescued by Jesus. Mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking about the Lord, the church. I wasn't thinking about any of those things. Mm-hmm. God kind of came in and radically transform my life and I like to say without my permission Mm -hmm. because I wasn't pursuing him I was the one that was being pursued and so I want to make that uh, very clear Mm -hmm. Uh, Jesus is the hero of my story I didn't do anything right except for learn how to day by day by his grace surrender yeah that's it yeah but Mm -hmm. I but I think answering your question though and so after I was discipled and trained by a godly man, my father in the gospel, guy who mentored me, Bishop Smith, back home in Peoria, Illinois, where I'm from, I was mentored, trained in ministry for him. After three years of study and training, I was ordained. And then I became youth pastor of that church, which I served in that role for three years prior to moving to St. Louis in 2004. And I moved here in 2004 to take a call as a senior pastor of a historic black church here in town. Okay. And so that's what brought me to St. Louis. And then in 2007, I planted, along with some a few people, planted my first church. Okay. And I did that from 2007 to 2017. I took a year off ministry, not because I wanted to, or I was trying to get a break. Our church kind of went out of business and literally mm-hmm. closed down. Still hard to say, but that's, you know, that's part of the story and part of my journey. Took a year off. Eventually ended up going back uh, to school for uh, a graduate degree in divinity, a master's okay. in divinity is what it's called at the institution I went to and decided, was invited and called to plant um, this church. This mm-hmm. is the second assignment and we're about to celebrate two years in just yeah. four weeks. Yeah. yeah. yeah so it's I, been a long haul, man. It's, it's been over, it's, it doesn't seem like until I say it out loud, it's been you know 20 years, Yeah, yeah. 20 years of, of ministry uh, serving. Amen. experience, yeah. You know, I was thinking even Sunday when I'm seeing these the, the stuff for the announcements for the two year anniversary. That lunch was the one year anniversary when, when yeah, I was walking by. So I'm yeah. like, man, I've been here for a year now. It's been a year. <laughs> yeah, it is exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Time is moving. Yeah. Well, as much as you feel comfortable sharing and, and don't need to put out any names, but do you feel like you experienced anywhere along that long journey any type of discrimination or error, any quality or any obstacles of that nature that you felt like you had to overcome? Uh, well, you know, so that's interesting, and that's a, a, a fair question, and I think I'd have to answer that a couple of different ways. Mm-hmm. So first of all, of course, I've experienced discrimination, racism, and the like as an African-American man mm-hmm. in the part of the country that I lived, and especially being here in St. Louis for the last 20 years. And as a pastor particularly, yeah, I think that if if I'm being honest, and I think if we're all being honest, Uh, You know, America has a very, very ugly history of racism and uh, discrimination. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we all together, those of us that are alive now, we inherited this this broken, fallen, and and sin-filled world. But, yes, so I've experienced it subtly, you know, and I've experienced it, you know, outright. 
Mm-hmm. And so I've been rocking with white evangelical Christians since 2007. So that's yeah. a very long time. And so over the years, I have been hurt. I have been let down and I've heard and experienced racism. And I'm sure, right, if I'm being mm-hmm. honest, I've I've hurt people and I've said some some things that probably weren't fair. And there's probably been times that I was overly sensitive and I saw racism where racism wasn't even present mm-hmm. and I've responded that to that as well. But to answer your question, yes, I've experienced it. And I don't, I don't know if, if I'll live long enough to see a time when racism isn't expressed mm-hmm. from one people group to another, whether yeah. it's Anglos having racism toward black and brown people or whether it's black and brown people having racism toward one another and toward Anglos. Mm-hmm. I think that we are a part of a fallen and a broken and a sin-filled world. And yeah. I think racism is part of that brokenness and a part yeah. of that depravity. And that's something that we believe that the gospel addresses and deals with. And that's what I'll forgive my life to, how, mm-hmm. seeing how and in what ways the gospel effectively can, you know, bridge those gaps yeah and what paul said continue to break down walls of hostility that exist between people groups yeah as i mentioned earlier i've noticed that this is a very diverse congregation was that was that day one like that like was like or you know was it naturally born like how did this happen because i feel like i've known of churches who have you know talked about trying to become diverse they've worked towards it and it seems like their their group stays their group. And so, you know, what did what did that look like this forming? Was it like when this church got planted and, and opened up, diversity flowed in, or was it something that was strategic? No, it was strategic. It was always a part of uh our vision. Okay. You know, our vision we wanted to be a welcoming community that models God's love, that celebrates diversity and mm-hmm. pursues racial reconciliation. We see that as the unity that is expressed and only experienced through the gospel. Mm-hmm. And so that was that is extremely intentional in all that we do and all that we hope to be. We're wanting to intentionally, you know, provide the watching world, mm-hmm. especially in our cultural location, with the foretaste of how we believe, according to the testimony of scripture, mm-hmm. the story is gonna end. Revelation seven nine tells us that you know, that there's gonna be people from every tribe, tongue, and nation yeah. together praising and worshiping Jesus together in unison. And so we wanted to be, our dream was, and our dream is to be a foretaste, just presenting that and showing the world that's Mm -hmm. watching that things aren't the way that God intended for them to be. And our hope and our goal is to pursue that with everything within us. So that is something that's intentional. We're always praying about it and we're always thinking about it. Nice. Nice. Yeah. All right. I have a few things lined up. I, I, the best thing that I love about these episodes is the off-scriptness. So just so y'all know, all of that was nothing that was planned. We kind of just went into conversation, and that's what I love. You know, just getting, you know, the 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 things out there that come to your mind that as a watcher, that's one thing I struggle with when I watch things online a lot is you have questions, and what comes in your mind sometimes doesn't get answered. So I try to, whatever's coming to my mind, I imagine the viewer, you know, as the viewer is watching, they probably have something that's coming to their mind. And I want to be that kid in the class. Teacher always said, you have a question, ask the question. Because there's probably someone in the class who's you know, scared to ask the question, and they need to know too. Yeah, in this case, cool. viewer just can't ask the question right now. Right. But figure I'd ask it for them. And so we're going to go into my first question that I have planned here, 
which is how does the Bible address slavery and racism? And so I think, first of all, that's a good question. And I think that's a question that is always being asked. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, I think that it's not always being answered in a thorough and in an intellectually honest way. Mm -hmm. And so I think, first of all, we got to, we got we to gotta separate as much as we can and do our very best as closing the historical gap between the time in which the Bible was written mm -hmm. and our time today. Okay. Not only do we have to work very hard to close that historical gap, we also at the same time need to be thinking about the geographical gap. Mm -hmm. Because slavery over there in that part of the world did not mirror slavery that took place in this part of the world. Mm -hmm. So we got two things working against us, history and geography. Okay. And so first I want to say that through the lenses of slavery in the Bible, slavery and racism weren't a, is not a conflated idea. Mm -hmm. But as people who are in America, North America, we conflate those because you can't separate those things here because slavery and race are not in they they're 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 joined, mm -hmm. right? They are one in the same here, but through the lenses of the testimony of Scripture during biblical times, they weren't. So right. I think we have to first start out by saying in the Bible, racism and slavery was not the same thing. Mm -hmm. And right. I, I, I love that you say that because, I mean, and even to right now, that's like, you know, really, really making my mind think about it. Because there's a lot of things with Pastor Nathan, the episode we did on biblical love. One of the main things we talked about is how love is used now and love in the Bible. And if we take our current, you know, image of what love is and we take that mind thought and put it to what the Bible is saying, it can, can you know, mess up our thoughts of what it is. So yeah. that is, I'm glad that you said that, that we got to separate it because it wasn't the same. What we view as slavery and racism now is not you know, what was happening back then. Yeah. Now, of course, there is slavery in the Bible. And I think that's it, right? We're mm -hmm. all... Most people, especially people of color, African-Americans in uh, America, are just trying to make sense of the evil that we and our ancestors experienced mm -hmm. through the Atlantic slave trade and, and, and chattel slavery. So we are do our very best to make sense of that. And for us, it's very difficult for us to see any anything in the Bible that would lend toward any parts of that being okay. Mm -hmm. And so I need to say right up front that even in the Bible, though Slavery was different from chattel slavery. Mm -hmm. Slavery was a result of the fall. It was after yes. sin entered the world. So it is not or ever was a part of God's intention for human beings to own other human beings mm -hmm. for any reason, whether it was economic reasons like we see during the times of in biblical history, nor for the evil economic and racist reasons we see more current, more recently in American history. Mm -hmm. And so all of it is bad. All of it is wrong. None of it is consistent with uh, the character of God. But slavery and racism in the Bible needs to be talked about in its original context mm -hmm. for us to understand it. But there is enough in there to satisfy that deep need for people like you and I mm -hmm. who need to know in here that God is vehemently, vehemently against slavery. Yeah. And so I think there's a, a verse in Exodus 21 verse 16. I want to read this because mm -hmm. part of what made American slavery, chattel slavery, so evil was that the slaves were kidnapped yeah. from their homeland and they were from that point on considered property and mm -hmm. had absolutely no rights and so 
Let's look at just this, this verse in, in Exodus. It gives mm -hmm. us a snapshot as to what was the heart of God for the people who were enslaved, and especially for people who were enslaved in illegal ways, mm -hmm. like we experience in chattel, like we experience here in North America in chattel mm -hmm. slavery. In Exodus 21 to 16, it says this, whoever steals a man and sells him and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death. And so right here we see that the man mm -hmm. still in slavery that we saw in American chattel slavery was completely inconsistent with God's heart. Yeah. Because here Moses is telling these freely these newly freely slaved people that, hey, look, if you even get caught in possession of mm -hmm. a kidnapped slave, slave, you are going to be <laughs> you're, yeah. you're subject to the death penalty. Yeah. And so we need to know that the slavery in the Bible has was not at all equivalent to chattel slavery yeah. that we experienced here in America. And there's another verse, same author in Deuteronomy 3 verses maybe 14 through 16. And it talks specifically about if a person runs away from slavery, mm -hmm. right? And they find themselves amongst the people of God. They are not to return them and they are to make sure they have access to land and property. Mm -hmm. And so we see here, I'll pull it up because yeah. I think that your, your, your listeners yeah. deserve, you know, just if I'm, if I'm quoting the scripture and I have it in front of me, I mm -hmm. can just, I can just read it. And we'll have these scriptures in the show notes too, as well. Yeah. So if you're listening now and you're, you already missed it, can't find it, rewinding it, we'll have it in the show notes for you to be able to go look up. Yeah. Deuteronomy 23, 15. You shall not give up to his master a slave who has escaped from his master to you. He shall dwell with you in your midst in the place that he shall choose within one of your towns. Wherever it suits him, you shall not wrong him. Mm. And so we have to understand that though the Bible doesn't outright condemn slavery, it condemns every form of slavery that we experienced in North America. Mm -hmm. And again, the heartbeat of God was always with the oppressed, always yeah. with the marginalized. And of course, he came to yeah. redeem a whole nation of people who were enslaved, who were in bondage in Egypt. Yeah. And so I think that we need to be honest though, yeah. and say that the Bible didn't directly address slavery in the ways we would hope that it would. Mm -hmm. And it is because... As it deals with slavery, it's dealing with slavery from a different time. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. And I and I talk a lot to my listeners about reading the word for yourself. You, you've got to read the word for yourself. I know one of the methods that they use to keep slaves in bondage other than physically, you know, physically is they didn't teach them. You know, they weren't they weren't well taught. You know, they couldn't read. And so, you know, they can get their hands on the Bible all day back then, but if they couldn't read it. You know, they, they wouldn't be able to read a verse like that to be able to bring that up to someone who may be, you know, giving them a, a church service, but only feeding them the parts that they, you know, want them to hear. And essentially, it could be similar to today, a different type of, of bondage or slavery. If, if we're not, if we can read, but we're not taking that opportunity to read what God has left for us to to experience that freedom, you could be in bondage right now in, in a different type of slavery to to sin because you know this is what's going to set us free you know and god wants us to be in freedom you know he sent his only begotten son for that to happen and just i don't know just me hearing that i'm like i, I know if slaves could have found that verse 
they would have been all on it. You know, either of them versus, you know, especially if their their master at the time was, you know, preaching Christianity or something to them. You know, okay, so this is what you're this is what you're holding fast to. But what about this right here? You know, if they were able to really, in a mass way, be able to understand the the fullness of the word at the time, they really would challenge them. That doesn't mean they would listen, but you know. That that's very interesting. Yeah. So there was a slave Bible. So there was Bibles that were when the you know African slaves were allowed to hear the Bible read to them. Mm-hmm. The very few who were allowed to learn how to read it was it was primarily illegal. But you know there were some people that got use and that were generous and allowed people to learn how to read. But there was slave Bibles, and in the slave Bible that. Uh, all of the, the entire next uh, Exodus narrative and anything, any and all scriptures like this weren't even in the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so what you're saying is, is right. Yeah. yeah, man. So um, next I want to read in Ephesians. Um, I'm going to read Ephesians, what do I have it here? Chapter 6, um, verses 5 through 9. And we're gonna, I'm going to NIV here when I'm reading. Chapter 6, verses 5 through 9. Slaves. Obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them. Since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and theirs is no favoritism, but there is no favoritism with him. I think you actually you already started hitting on this a little bit earlier, but it's it's saying slaves here, so that might give someone the idea it's in the Bible, it's addressing slaves obeying their masters. Someone might get the idea that God is for slavery. Otherwise, why would the scripture you know be in here? So you know, what does this passage actually mean? Yeah, so again, you got to just understand that we have to make account for the geography and the history gaps that's in mm-hmm. place. So during this time, when Paul was writing this letter to the church in Ephesus, there was no chattel slavery. Yeah. And it wasn't race-based slavery. Mm-hmm. Slavers could own property. Slavers could take a wife. Slavers were oftentimes more educated than their masters. And mm-hmm. slavery at that time was... It's hard to say voluntary because most time a person found themselves in slavery during this time in this part mm-hmm. of the world was they would sell themselves into slavery mm-hmm. for a specified period of time in order to take their family out of uh, extreme poverty. So yeah. sometimes it was life or death. There was an opportunity. There was a person in the family who had enough health skill or knowledge to sell themselves into an indentured servitude relationship mm-hmm. for a period of time. And that is who Paul was addressing. He wasn't mm-hmm. addressing people who didn't have rights, people who didn't know who they were, mm-hmm. people who didn't have uh, a right to an education, people who couldn't own property, and people who couldn't um, uh, have a family. Yeah, yeah. And so he's using the terminology slave, but again, mm-hmm. he's not talking about the chattel slavery of America. And I think that's just what makes us all uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And not every biblical uh, translation translates those words the same. Right, so right. Some would use the word bond servant instead yeah. of slave because it has a different connotation yeah. now than it did then. So nowhere here is this referring to 
a person on a slave plantation mm -hmm. in Louisiana back is cut and ripped with whips mm -hmm. who's considered a three-fifth human being that you have to be obedient and submit yourself to this level of abuse. That's yeah. not what's being addressed here. Yeah. What's being addressed here is a person who obviously has an ability to process information. It was a, it was mm -hmm. in written form. Possibly they could read, which means they would have been educated. Mm -hmm. And it was basically saying when you're in these relationships where you know that you're in some form of contractual agreement where you owe this person work for a certain amount of time unless mm -hmm. you can come up with a lot of money and buy yourself out of slavery mm -hmm. then you must be faithful and you must be integral and yeah. you must be willing to work off your debt with integrity yeah kind of the same way you would you know you would say to a person you know what if you want to have good credit you better pay your bills on right time. right and yeah. as a believer you should pay your bills on time. Yeah. And as a believer, if you have an employer, you should treat them with respect and you should work hard mm -hmm. and you should be a person of integrity. And it goes down to say something different. It talks to the master as well. Right, yeah. Now, you got to remember in chattel slavery, the masters had all the rights. The slave had no rights. Mm -hmm. Slaves weren't even considered humans. So, you know what I mean? Yeah. The, so, even telling them, hey, look, and by the way, you have an obligation too, knowing mm -hmm. that you have someone that you're accountable to. So I think that when we look at this text, we have to look at it in context and see exactly what Paul was addressing, why he was writing it, and what was he trying to get through. And basically what he was saying in this part of text, one of the things he was saying in this part of the, of the text is simply that people that are called out by God mm -hmm. or in relationship with him are not to behave in a way that's dishonoring or that lacks integrity. Yeah. It is not about main, the maintaining of the power balance relationship mm -hmm. between slave and slave master. Right before it, it talks about the relationship between parents and children. Yeah. Right. So this is not coming from a motivated from a negative connotation. But Paul here is exhorting and admonishing the people of God that no matter what condition you find yourself in, if you're an indentured slave or if you're the one who's employing the indentured slave, because you remember they didn't own them. Right? Mm -hmm. They weren't property in the way that they were in right, right. slavery. They had rights. They were had rights and protections under the law. Yeah. He was saying that this relationship must be different than the other slave masters, slave master relationships we see in the culture. It's got to be so countercultural that people should be able to look into look into the church and see things done so differently that they would point them to the hope that's found in Jesus. Yeah. Right. Man, you know, even even hearing all this, one of the things that I always struggle with when someone, you know, would ask a question, they were like, well, why didn't you ask? And you'd be like, why? Well, I didn't think to ask because I thought I knew. You know, you, you ask questions when you when you think, well, at least when you think you're not sure or you're, mm -hmm. you know, you got a feeling of unease. But when you think you understand something, you don't think to ask anything further because you think you like, it's, it's, a, it's a weird concept. But, you know, when you when you bring that out, and again, we see it in many places where, like you said, sometimes it doesn't say slave. Sometimes it says bond servants, you know. But if you're not looking at various translations, you know, and you only see the one, you know, and then you're attributing it to what we now use as that word, it's like you kind of get trapped in a thought process unless you get revelation through, you know, an episode like this where you're sharing with us what it meant back then. So how is that something that the body of Christ can overcome in in any of the arenas when it, as it relates to the Bible, when things are different in that time, you know, how, like what parts, how are we to know what is separate? What is, 
what is not used the same, if that makes sense, what I'm trying to say. I think we're always got to just be keeping in mind those two things. I think those two things are probably going to be the most helpful is understand that we're dealing with a geography gap. Mm-hmm. So things, customs that f- from t- two completely different parts of the world. Mm-hmm. And then there's a historical gap. Right. And so we have to, when we're reading the scripture, we got to realize that the scripture was not written by or, or to Americans. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> right? It wasn't written by yeah. or to Americans, mm-hmm. right? This this book was written, when this book was gathered and put together, it was written in a place far from here and a mm-hmm. time far from removed from ours. And so right. we got to always be asking ourselves the question, what was the author attending to say and what did the audience, the original audience, mm-hmm. hear when what was being said? Right. So you got to think, these people who was receiving this letter America wasn't a place. Chattel slavery wasn't a thing. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't addressing those types of questions, mm-hmm. right? It was addressing the cultural issues of the day. Right. And so we got to just always remember that. Doesn't mean that it doesn't yeah. speak to us, it doesn't shape us, but we got to just remember that we're dealing with a geography and historical gap right. that has to be overcome every time we, in any time we engage with scripture, right? Yeah. And I think that's. That's one of the ways that's probably the easiest. It was yeah. easiest for me when I first started learning how to properly read the Bible. Right. Okay. Yep. Next question I have here for you is, historically, what has been the church's role in bringing equality? And so, again, if you go back historically, it's been, so let me ask you a question. What are you referring to historically? Are you talking about in American history or in church history throughout the ages? You know, I guess I, it's funny you say that because when you ask the question, I think I am thinking, you know, Americans, we have this thing about making things about us. So I was yeah. thinking Americanly, but that would be a, a better question. I guess would be even outside of this America, just as a whole. Yeah, but if you were originally thinking about uh, American history, we got to first say that the first people who wanted to abolish slavery were Christians. Mm-hmm. So there were white Christian abolitionists as well as black Christian abolitionists in this country that worked hard, Mm -hmm. that sacrificed their lives. Some gave up their lives, lost fortunes in order to pursue uh, the abolition of slavery in our country. Mm -hmm. And so I think early on, it was the believers, right, that Mm -hmm. led the way. And we see that not only, like I said, from white abolitionists to our most famous black abolitionists, like a Harriet Tubman or Frederick Douglass, Mm -hmm. they were all Christians and it was their faith that motivated Mm -hmm. them to want to push back against slavery and fight for the equality of all people. And then then you see that move forward even further, even in the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. The civil rights movement primarily was a de facto auxiliary of the historic black church. Mm -hmm. The civil rights movement was a movement that started in the church all of the early civil rights activists and leaders were all mostly preachers. Yeah. Right? Or at the very least, they was connected to the historic black church. And of course, it partnered with other social organizations, non-Christian organizations, some will call progressively liberal organizations. But the church, from the white abolitionists to the black abolitionists, and in the civil rights movement, right? Christians and black Christians all worked hard to leverage their influence and their resources to see to it that a slavery was abolished. And Mm -hmm. once it was abolished, there was a continual fight for more and more freedoms and equality for all people. So 
I think that there is this, the church does have a bad reputation as if the church has not contributed at all to the abolition of slavery or to the freedoms that we enjoy as people of color today. And I mm -hmm. think that is that does a disservice to history and it does a disservice to all of the black, brown and white people, as they were called back then, mm -hmm. who sacrificed so much because of their faith and their commitment mm -hmm. to to the trying God to make sure that everybody experienced the equality that's afforded to them through the gospel of Jesus Christ and not just in the life yeah. hereafter, but in the here and now. And yeah. so the freedoms that we enjoy today are partly in part of the Lord working through again, white and black abolitionists, mm -hmm. Christians, and then some non-Christians mm -hmm. and also through, even up through the civil rights movement, black and white, Christians and yeah. then of course some not Christians and so I think in American history the church has always been at the forefront of fighting for freedom and equality the problem is it has never been the whole church right right, right? Yeah. it has never been the majority church mm -hmm. right but the church those who are who would identify themselves as uh, Jesus followers Christian mm -hmm. they fought throughout history yeah. for equality and freedom and, so, and then, of course, you know, there's another side of that. There was also Christians who were against people like us having freedoms yeah. and even mm -hmm. being, you know, free from slavery or whatever. Mm -hmm. and so, but, yeah, so I think that the church has played then and now play an important role. Yeah. Do you think there's any portion of the of the church as a whole that still struggles with discrimination or inequality still today? Oh, well, uh, absolutely. You think Dr. King said 50 years ago that 11 o'clock on Sunday morning is the most segregated hour of the week in yeah. America. And that's still true. By and large, the church in America is still segregated, mm -hmm. right? Even though the laws are, have changed and mm -hmm. we have so much more freedom, we've made so much progress. We thank God for all of the freedoms mm -hmm. and the progress that has been made over the years. And we thank God for those men and women who sacrifice their lives even, mm -hmm. right, for the freedoms that we enjoy now. Um, but yes, it's still a lot of segregation, uh, a lot of discrimination, and a lot of, you know, racism and racist ideologies that mm -hmm. infect and affect the church today because the church is the people. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. we are the people, um, you know, the, the people make up these churches. And so, yeah, we still see it. We're still struggling mm -hmm. with it and we're still dealing with it. We still have a segregated church. Yeah. Historic black church, you got the white evangelical church, you got the, uh, you know, the Latin speaking and Hispanic church, and mm -hmm. you got the, you know, Chinese church, Korean right, church, yeah. you know, you name it, right? We're still very much segregated, and there's still much, a whole lot of racist ideology. Now, the difference between race being racist and racism is a whole other conversation, but yes, I think that we're still being affected by, negatively affected by inequality, injustice, prejudice, racism. Mm -hmm and racist ideologies yeah. still yeah i think so do you think at this point there are any roadblocks that are out of our control or is this something that that we have to, like, that decision has to be made and there's no roadblocks that you know we can't maneuver if we put our minds to it or do you think there's things in place that are holding us back um well, I'm not sure if I'm if I'm hearing you correctly, and so make sure I'm I'm going to make sure I'm responding to the question that you're actually asking, and not the question that's in my head. So, are you asking me about systemic racism and structures in place that prohibit us from getting together, 
Is that what you're yes. talking about? Or yes. are you talking about it more from a, a place of spiritual wickedness in high places? So I'm trying yes. to make sure I'm answering the question. First one, so systemically, you think there are oh. still things in place that are preventing it systemically? Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And so you got to remember, so I believe in, you know, what, what theologians call total depravity, mm -hmm. which means that all of human life and heart is at some point infected and affected by sin. Yeah. Not that every one of us is as bad as we could possibly get, mm -hmm. but that every one of us has some sin in every part of us. Yeah. yeah. And so therefore, if we have sin in us, then we can expect for that to be in the systems that we, mm -hmm. we build. And so there is some racist and racism in the systems and structures that have been built into our country. Mm -hmm. Now, I know this is not a political podcast, and I don't mean to get political at all, because I think politicians, which I am not, mm -hmm. are called to deal with primarily the discussion and the debate that takes place in the political arena. But just for example, what's taking place right now in, in Florida with their school systems as they are now making it illegal, right, mm -hmm. for people to learn about civil rights history and the way that it is actually depicted in history. And yeah. they're wanting to give alternative options and say, for example, that slavery wasn't all bad because mm -hmm. s those enslaved somehow benefited from I being heard, yeah. enslaved. So that is systemic. Mm -hmm. That is something that they hope to be taught yeah. to kids at all levels of their academic careers mm -hmm. to rewriting of history, right? And so I, that is, for me, a way that the, the racism and the polarization and the divisiveness continues to yeah. be wo woven into our systems yeah. and so i mean we can go on and on from the you know the school to prison pipeline we can go on and on from you know lack of um, um medical access and yeah. attention to poor and impoverished black and brown communities i mean but so yes the answer to the question yes there are still systems that are in place that are doing exactly what they were created to do a mm hundred -hmm. two hundred years ago that's still causing havoc yeah. in our time today and of course we know all of that is a tool and a trick from the enemy mm -hmm. so that is from us from spiritual wickedness at yeah. high places and that is again a result of the fall because mm -hmm. there was no 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 slavery before there was sin there right, was no right. inequality before there was sin all of that is a result of the fallen and broken world that we are a part of yeah um so with all that being said, what are what are some steps that the body of Christ can take to com combat the the present state that the church is in as it relates to the inequality and discrimination? Yeah, so I think that we need to first highlight and celebrate the churches in the places that are doing the hard work of uh, reconciliation and mm -hmm. unity um, through the gospel. Yeah, we need to highlight it and we need to celebrate it, and I think that. We need to be more intentional. Those who are a part of institutions and denominations mm -hmm. need to make sure that they're leveraging their influence and their resources to pour into works and communities that are trying their best, their very level best, to present the world with a different picture. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, and, and, then, and then just on the grounds, it requires you and I to make sure 
that we are willing to engage and be open to and show Christian hospitality to any and everybody and especially those that are other mm-hmm. and that are different for us from us mm-hmm. making sure that we're making room to both uh learn from them be loved by them to be shaped by them and to to love them and to teach them and to shape them as well yeah and so i think that we need to be able to figure out how we do this on the individual level with and how to do this collectively mm-hmm. as local churches parachurch groups denominations christian educational institutions mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. we all need to be asking ourselves the real question and are we doing our level best to make sure that we are combating any and every form of racism of uh, prejudice of discrimination any place where people are being denied the dignity and the humanity that was ascribed to them by our heavenly father when he said that we were created in his mm-hmm. image and in his likeness yeah and so i think it takes a collective effort from everybody from the individual to the our academic institutions mm-hmm. that are shaping uh, pastors and christian thinkers yeah yeah i love wednesdays on our family nights now right yeah now, family night. yeah, yeah, yeah we yeah. got to get the name changed now yeah so on family nights and we have we get that chance to come together and then we got our, 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 the best part for me is the breaking away to the tables. I, I love that portion, and we're, it's all mixed and diverse there. And just to hear what everyone's saying, you can just hear the differences, and it's it's nice, and it gives you understanding, gives you perspective that your world isn't the world, you yeah. know. And and oftentimes, if if you are just stuck in your world and that's all you see and all you know, it's kind of hard to accept. Anything other than that, because that's what you came up in, that's what you live in, that's what you see, and so you got to get out of that box to to be able to experience something other, and to know that there's not just one right way in, in various situations or lifestyles. You know that they everyone's living life differently, and until you can get into that diverse group, you know, which you like you said, we got to start doing things like that intentionally to invite. I also love how, you know, we don't we don't have chicken every every month, you know, for the family meal at the yeah. church, you know. We mix it up for different cultures, you know, we have different types of food and that will also, you know, help people feel more comfortable coming to the meals and all that. And so, yeah, I mean, the Wednesday nights, I love them. <laughs> Wait a minute, you ain't saying everybody don't like chicken? Right, right. <laughs> everybody right, right. <laughs> who don't like chicken, right? right. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm just kidding. And then also, uh, for for um, your, your viewers, uh, there's there's some who just find themselves in parts of the country where there's just not diversity. They're just in, in their like proximity, mm-hmm. and so I want to make sure when we talk about the churches and institution and individuals need to work hard. What I'm not saying is that for a church who is just in a rural, you know, excluded area where there's just one type of people there ethnically that mm-hmm. somehow you need to figure out how to make your church diverse. We're not saying that at all. Mm-hmm. Because we know that's not a real possibility. But we are saying that we do need to be figuring out where and how we are going to be able to get engaged and to be shaped by voices other than the voices that are from our ethnic, our our political, or our cultural circles. And I think that is the issue, right? Yeah. 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 And I heard before that, you know, the church should look like the neighborhood. You know, if your church is in a specific neighborhood, whatever the people group that is are, that's around it, you know, it, it should kind of resemble that, you yeah. know. You know, I think that's that's fair, mm-hmm. but I think it's it has a built-in flaw that needs to be, 
mm-hmm. know, explored a little bit more. Yeah. We live in a country, and especially in St. Louis, right, mm-hmm. where we're at in the St. Louis metro area, where, you know, there's a such thing as redlining and there's a such thing as white flight. Okay. And so, yeah. you know, you can live in an all-white neighborhood if you want to. Mm-hmm. And so, <laughs> of course, if you choose to segregate yourselves, yeah, yeah, yeah. either financially or ethnically or whatever, you can control then who's <laughs> going to be at your church if we use that as the uh-huh. the litmus test. Yeah. And so I'll push back against that because mm-hmm. if we ask ourselves why are the communities and neighborhoods divided the way they're divided, especially right here in St. Louis, different parts of the country, it may be different. So give me a little grace. But for this part of the country in particular, I mean, you can live in a neighborhood, and if your if your church is only supposed to look like your neighborhood, mm-hmm. and your school is only supposed to look like your neighborhood, you can very easily find yourself in a segregated church here yeah. in St. Louis. Yeah, there's some neighborhoods you can go to. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that so definitely. we gotta be careful when we say that. Yeah, because I think that limits us, and it doesn't address the historical sin and the historical problems that we have that has caused us to be segregated and separated in the first place. Right. Because you can, you know, like I said, there's neighborhoods where there are people that look like me that live there, that go to their school. And if they say, well, my church looks like this neighborhood. Yeah, they're right. Mm-hmm. But you got to ask the question, why? Right, right. right yeah. Why, do, do, why, why does my neighborhood only look like this? Yeah. And so, so there's some pushback. For mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah. So how can we identify if we are contributing contributing to the racism or inequality in the church ourselves you know as viewers or us if we're possibly doing something that may be hindering the coming together of the people how what would be some keys to identify that within ourselves well first of all you got to have a diverse group of people at the table talking mm-hmm. right you got to have a diverse group of people at the table when the decisions are being made mm-hmm. And so one of the best ways is to make sure that you don't put yourself in an echo chamber where everybody that's making decisions and pouring mm-hmm. into you and shaping the decisions that you're making look like you think like you and already agree with you. Yeah. Right? So that's that's one of the things. And then also, I think when you're talking about racism, I think probably a better word would maybe us being intentional about looking into the prejudices in our own heart. Mm-hmm. Because racism comes with a dynamic that implies that there's a power dynamic in place, mm-hmm. meaning that I am racist and I'm using my authority and power to deny you some right or yeah. access to something, whereas prejudice is just what's taking place in my own heart. Racism may be more systemic. Gotcha. We just got to figure out a better way to communicate mm-hmm. that. But yeah, so if we got to think about our own prejudices, our own preferences, and we have to be willing to, to sacrifice those things and submit those things to the altar and we have to be willing to submit those things to other people right yeah yeah and so i think that's part of what happens is when we do life together Mm -hmm. once we get to know one another and we see each other as brothers and sisters as an image bearers and human beings and uh we develop empathy and Mm -hmm. emotional and cultural intelligence as we're dealing with each other as we bring in different idols and issues and problems from our own stories and from our own Mm -hmm. cultural backgrounds and our own social locations i think that we have to really be willing to just be honest about that and be willing to learn from one another i think that's the one the, the best way we can do it is by intentionally doing life together and being willing to listen and learn from somebody that's other yeah you know, when, when you, you said, you talked about the diversifying the table, going back kind of, I, I heard about that school and with them teaching differently, black history. 
And the first thing that came to my mind, because what I heard, I haven't looked this up, but I heard that it was unanimous, the vote. They voted on that, and it was unanimous. First thing that came to my mind was, who was on this board that was voting for this? That no one voted against it, you know? And so if the, if the board wasn't diversified and it was unanimous, then, you know, that's speaking exactly what you're, what you're talking about. There was no, it wasn't enough representation at the table to represent, you know, all the people groups, you know, for that yeah. discussion possibly. Yeah, yeah. I don't know either who's all in right. Yeah, yeah. That's just the first thing that came to my mind because I'm like, man, how did how did that pass? You know, yeah. like, but that's a lot of stuff that that gets passed around here. Yeah. Um, what are your closing statements? Anything you want to say to the listeners um, as it relates to our topic that we've uh, spoken on today? Yeah, I just want to encourage uh, everybody to do two things. First, to think and celebrate the many ways God has blessed uh, America and to figure out how we can celebrate all of the progress that has been made throughout the years. I'm not saying that we've arrived. I'm not saying things are as they should be. But I am saying that people made sacrifices. They made a lot of sacrifices. The building where we sit right now, just 50, 60 years ago, it, it, we, we would have to be out of here in the next hour because there's a sun, Ferguson was a sundown town. Mm-hmm. Right? And so the mere fact that we've seen so much positive change we got to celebrate that. We got to highlight that. And we got to talk about that more. And then also, that doesn't mean that we have to stop, A, lamenting the past, the sins, the pain, the trauma, the abuse that we've experienced in this country. But we also have to constantly and intentionally be stewards of what the Lord has given us and use our influence wherever that may show up to push back against the gates of hell, to push back against this evil that puts in places people group against people group where we can no longer or we can't begin to see each other as humans as image bearers of gods in needs of love and grace that deserves to be seen that deserves to be heat to be to be heard and and need and need care and we have to figure out how we're going to take that next step today and tomorrow at your job at school uh, and not just at church right well, monday through saturday what are we going to do intentionally to push back on the darkness and the evil sin that separates people, especially when God called us all to be one? Amen. Yep. Well, I thank you, Pastor Boone, for taking the time Amen. out of thanks your day for, to do this. And... Thanks, man. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm not, you know, when you said podcast, I, you know, I thought we were, <laughs> you know, this was going to be a voice. I didn't know that I was going to be on video. So excuse yeah. me for, you know. Anyways, it, thanks y'all for yeah. sure. Thank, thanks, <laughs> thanks everybody, and thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, to, yeah, no problem. Yeah, but just so y'all know, any other time I see Pastor Boone, he is fly. He's fly to the T. So <laughs> I felt like I needed to to get. I, I just knew he was going to be fly, and no, I did. I didn't warn him, you know, good enough, and so that's on me. But I was like, okay. I got I gotta do something, you know, to try to match. You look good. You <laughs> Thank you. Would yeah. you mind closing us in prayer? Hey, Lord, you're, you've been so good to us. Thank you for technology that allows us to have this conversation in this room, and it'll be broadcast and with the potential to impact and affect positively the lives of so many people. Lord, I'm sure we said things that may some may take offensively, and maybe we didn't say them with as much clarity as we thought we had. Lord, so I'm praying that by your Spirit that you would take the intentions of our heart and supernaturally use this in a way that, you know, builds up those who are called out by your name 
and make those who are far from you see you as a little bit more beautiful and a little bit more believable than they did prior to tuning in. Bless everybody and every family represented. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you guys for joining another episode of On Earth As It Is In Heaven. I'll catch you guys next week.